If you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. They won't remember any of it. <laughs> Pastor joke. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28 and reading through 40. It's a little bit different. This is a narrative. It's not like Ephesians, so we've got to get into a different gear. So um, if you will, if you're ready, uh, willing, and able, let's stand up and read this together as God's Word. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount, which is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, and they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And that's the title of the ser sermon this morning, The Stones Will Cry Out. Let's pray. Father, be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill us with your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you would have us praise you. How you would have us worship you for who you are. Lord, let us be able to see your glory clearly um, today and every day hereafter that we would um, worship you in spirit and in truth. Um, that we would worship you because you are worthy. So Lord, be with my mouth and fill me with the things you would have me say to your people, your bride this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said, the, the title of the sermon this morning is The Stones Will Cry Out. Praise God, we have seen His mighty works. The last couple of weeks, we've well, the last couple of years, we've been in Ephesians. But the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about taking off the old shoes and putting on the new shoes. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Well, today is the first day of Holy Week. First day of the Passion Week. 
in Spanish, Semana Santa. The first, first day of the week, this starts off this holy week. And this week is the reason that we can put off the old self. This week is the, the reason we have new shoes to put on. Um, this week is the reason we have power to do so, even after he has saved us. That we can shed off the old person and put on the new self. Jesus died in our place and gave us new life. And that is what we celebrate beginning this week. We do it every day as Christians. But this is an intense time of meditation and thinking on these things this week. He died in our place and gave us new life. You know, one of the things that I dread when, and when holidays come up as a pastor is people get in these modes. It's almost robotic. Um, at Christmas time, you get in this Christmas mode and everyone shows up the, sun, the Sunday before and after in this fog. And I prayed that you guys wouldn't be in the fog this morning and God has answered that prayer. I believe you guys came ready to worship this morning with a clear mind that it's not, oh, Easter is here. Oh, I have to meet with family and we're going to eat. We're going to do this all this week and this this week and then we're going to be busy, 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 busy. You guys came in this morning ready to worship. And I thank God that he answered that prayer because so many times it is so robotic. Oh, it's Easter time, Easter mode. And you go into Easter mode. I do not want any of these things this week to be landscape for you. Like when you're sitting and meditating on the Passion Week and the things that happened all throughout the week as, as a discipleship group, as with your families and friends, that when you're meditating on them, don't let them just be a passing thought that, oh, it's, it's Easter again. No, it's Easter again. It's Resurrection Day this next Sunday. But don't let this week pass by without really sitting and meditating on the events that have taken place on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf. It's not just this blanket thing that happened where he just made salvation possible. He called you out by name. He called you and gave you new life by name. So when those things were happening during that Passion Week, it was your name written on them, on his heart. I'm doing this for so-and-so. I'm doing this for so-and-so. They're my brother. The Father has given them to me, and I'm going to do this for them, and I will rescue them. It has your name on it. It's not just a blanket, blanket covering for just whatever. It's very specific to the ones whom are repenting and believing, to those who have been saved, to those who have put off the old man and put off the old life and have put on the new life. Not everyone can do that except through Christ. And this week that everything that he's done for us is the reason we can do those things, the reason we do have new life. And I put one word here, and it, it, it sums it up, weighty. It is a weighty time of meditation on what he has done. So the passage we read, I'm not just going to start in right there for you. I want to kind of set the scene a little bit. Um, I think that's, it, it, it's, it needs to be done. It's a fair thing to do that we need to set the, set the scene a little bit. We'll start with Lazarus. You know, he had just, Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus, a good close friend. Him and his family, they, they would talk a good bit. But Lazarus had gotten sick and died. And the family were a little upset that Jesus didn't make it there in time. They were a little upset with him. They said, Jesus, had you been here, 
he would have lived, our brother would have lived. And they were a little upset with him that he wasn't on their time frame. Any, any of you guys ever been upset with God not being on your time frame? Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, that's me. But that's God. That's the way he works. And Jesus comes there and he tells them that Lazarus will rise again. And of course, they agree it's going to happen on the last day. We know that, Jesus. He's going to resurrect on the last day. But Jesus tells them, I don't think they understand it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You're looking and you're waiting for something else to come, but I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, calls him by name. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And all these people are watching this happen, watching Lazarus come through. You've heard me describe it before. What if he, you see him, old Lazarus is coming to the, the tomb door, hopping, wrapped up still with his grave clothes on. And he comes there, he's breathing. Blood is pumping through his body. He is alive again. He's been four days dead, four days. And everyone watched Lazarus come out of the tomb. This is what's happening at, the, at that moment. Everyone starts talking about what they've just witnessed. What would you have done? What would you have done if you had seen a man that had been dead for four days and a man walks up to him and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. What would you have felt like? What would have been going through your mind? I'll tell you again, as I've said before, there's no less power in that resurrection than there is in the resurrection of your own life when you've been saved. When he called your name and you ran out of the grave, it's not just words. Because when you think back at that old man that we've been talking about, that old man was dead. Four days dead and longer. But he called you out and you walked out of that grave. And whenever you see your friends that are, have been rescued, it's no less a miracle than when he called out Lazarus. But everyone starts talking about what they've just witnessed. Wouldn't you have talked about it? I would have talked about it. I would have been telling everybody. This man, Jesus, just went and called this man out by name and he walked out of the tomb breathing as if he just were breathing and probably more so than when he was sick beforehand. I would have been telling everyone that I saw. And I believe you would have too. But the chief priests... And the Pharisees are going nuts. They're going nuts. The chief priests and the Pharisees are going nuts. They're like, what are we going to do? That's exactly what they said. What are we going to do? He performs many signs. You can tell they don't understand Jesus. They don't see him for who he is. They're like, this man is basically a magician showing up to tombs and calling people forth. We don't know if Lazarus is really alive or not, but he's causing problems for us, is what the chief priests are saying. He's causing problems for us. What are we going to do? He performs many signs. They say the Romans are going to take our place and they're going to take our nation. Well, they're afraid that he's going to take all of their power. He's going to take all of their control they have over the people, all of their prestige that they have over everyone. The Romans are going to take our place and our nation. And here's the funny thing. 
Whenever God wants something done, it doesn't matter who he uses to do it, whether they mean it for bad or not, because then Caiaphas says the exact, same, the exact thing that God wants him to say. Caiaphas happens to be, just happens to be, providentially happens to be, the chief priest, the, the high priest that year. And Caiaphas, being somewhat of a smart aleck to them, says, you know nothing at all. He's telling these guys, they're, like, they're freaking out. Like, he performs something. What are we going to do? We're going to lose our place. And Caiaphas says, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And in him saying that, even though he meant it for their benefit, he, he prophesied over the whole nation. God is going to speak and send his word no matter what we decide we're going to do. He's telling him, you don't even know anything. You don't know what you're doing. Don't, why are you worried about this? Better than one man die for the whole nation than the whole nation perish. Comes out of his own mouth and he means it. He means to kill Jesus. But he's prophesying of the gospel. First point here, we're going into, shout aloud, your king is coming. Shout aloud, your king is coming. You have that kind of king who just raised someone from the dead and he's still raising people from the dead. And all the people who want control, they can't control him. They can't put their hands on him unless he allows them to put his hands on them. He's even prophesying through the ones who are trying to kill him. Shout aloud, your king is coming. John 12, 12 through 13, it says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to him or coming to Jerusalem he was been working his way closer and closer through this whole time frame of getting to Jerusalem a large crowd had heard that that he was coming so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel so from that moment that, that Lazarus was raised from the dead, it, it put even more of a wedge in between people. It's like we've said that before, the gospel will either draw you in or it will push you away. When he resurrected Lazarus, that was the turning point of this whole week that's coming up. He resurrected Lazarus and all the people who would follow him knew. They were convinced this is the one. He is the one. He is the king that has come to us. And all of the other ones begin to hate him even more. They were like, no, we've got to do something with him. He's coming to take our place. We've got to get rid of him. From that moment, that was the turning point, him raising Lazarus. But they came and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They are claiming he is the king of Israel. They are acknowledging he is our king. He is the one who has come. We've seen him. Now we know the end of the story. They all end up leaving him. And he is alone throughout this whole entire week. They've acknowledged the truth, but out throughout this whole week he begins to suffer alone. And I'm sure Chuck will pick up on that next week. But they're crying out, Hosanna, save us. They're like, this is the one. If there's one that's going to save us, it's him. He just called Lazarus out of the, out of the grave for four days. If he can do that, he can save all of us. Hosanna, save us. 
Save us now. Zechariah 9.9 prophesied, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, look, pay attention. When you see that word behold, it's almost like they're grabbing you by your collar. Listen to me. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There is no one more humble than Christ. If anyone deserved to show up on the scene with all of the entourage, it was Christ. And he would have been okay in doing so because he is, it is truth. He's not exaggerating. He is the most holy. He is the most glorious that there ever was or ever will be. But yet he comes riding on a donkey because he wants to associate with the lowliest of people. Riding on a donkey. One thing I noticed here in this passage, it says, the whole multitude of his disciples were doing what? Rejoicing and praising him. The whole multitude of his disciples. Unanimous praising Jesus as king. You ever been in a worship service like where everyone is singing and they're worshiping? Like, kind of like this morning. But I want you to imagine large crowds, small crowds, whether you're in a living room or wherever you may be, when every single person is worshiping Jesus with no thought or concern about what everyone else is thinking. What is that like? If you've ever been into the, into the I still call it the Bilo Center, people call it now the well. You go to winter jam or concerts and Christian concerts and there's worship services and there's, the whole place is filled with a multitude of people and they're all singing the songs together in unison. Whether you're in a place that large or whether you're in a, a place medium size and it's packed full of Christians who love Jesus that are worshiping or whether you're in a small congregation like this and everyone's singing, it fills the atmosphere no matter how many people are there. It fills the atmosphere. In Psalm 22, 3, it mentions that God inhabits the praises of His people. He inhabits the praises of His people. What does that mean? It literally means this. God is enthroned on the praises of His people. You almost get this thought of when there's praise filling a room, God's throne has, a, has arrived here with us, has arrived here among us. And you feel his presence with us. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. These people were worshiping him. They saw him and praised him for who he is. When the whole of God's people have a heart to worship Jesus, we feel his enthronement among us, we feel his presence. Participate in it joyfully. I would say, but what about when I don't feel like worshiping? You know, we ever go, you ever go through that when you don't feel like worshiping? And that's okay. It's okay sometimes. We go through those times when I don't feel like worshiping. It leads into the next point here. Joyful reason to praise. We have a joyful reason to praise. 
Luke 19.37 says, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Not everyone there that was present at the time was not rejoicing and praising God. There were Pharisees among them. There were people who were unbelievers that were sitting there giving them the side eye. Like, what are y'all doing? He's not the king here. Are y'all crazy? Looking at him like waiting, just with a sour look you could almost imagine. Like, what are y'all doing? The people that just don't believe. Not everyone was in, but it says the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. To rejoice. They were exceedingly glad. We as believers have everything to rejoice about. We just lose sight. They were rejoicing because of why? They saw Jesus coming. They saw him. They had their eyes on him. They saw him moving to Jerusalem. They saw what he had done. We have everything to rejoice about. We let what is currently going on overshadow what is most important in our praise to him. Whatever, whatever we have so many situations that come into our life and we get busy and we get distracted and we let that overshadow what is most important, most important, which is rejoicing in God. These people were rejoicing in him, enjoying him in obedience and worship. We were Lazarus. We were Lazarus. On those days where you feel like you have no reason to worship, we were Lazarus. Praise, honoring God for who he is. When we are not feeling it as strongly, we think on who he is. The more you think on who he is in his grace and mercy towards us, you will find your joy and begin to rejoice says they praised him with a loud voice. Why? Why did they praise him with a loud voice? He's coming into Jerusalem praising, praising him with a loud voice. Yelling out at him. Imagine what that's going to be like in the kingdom. No restraints, no distractions. All you see is Christ. All you feel is his presence. All you can feel is joy and rejoicing and peace and, and love and, and majesty. He won't be on a donkey. He'll be on the throne. They praised him with a loud voice. Why? It says, because of the works they had seen. No, that's not what it says. It says, the mighty works they had seen. How many of you know that God has done a mighty work in your life? And we say yes sometimes. We're like, yeah, yeah, he's done mighty works. He's done mighty works. No. How many times have you been just flabbergasted by the mightiness of the works that he has done in your life? These people have seen all this stuff that's happened in the past leading up to this point, and they're worshiping him, and they've seen all these things happen. God has done mighty works in our lives, he has called us from death to life. He has justified us in his sight. Our sin is gone. It's not just words. Our sin is gone. 
There's no more sin to be dealt with. We are working through those things and being sanctified, but our sins are gone. He's taken our sins away. They were put to death in Christ. That's what this week is about. Him leading up to the the cross, putting our sins to death if we will repent of them and trust him. He is making us into the image of Jesus. He will glorify us. We are seated with him as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He has redeemed us from our former state of living in sin. These are the things that he's done for us, the mighty works that he's done. And I think so many times we hear the things and we're just like, yeah, yeah, he's done those. But we've lost the appeal. We've lost the the shock of it, of, of it all. Redeemed us from our former state of living in sin. He has adopted us. We are we are his children. We have everything to praise him for. This body may have aches and pains, and it will die, but we will never die because of this week, because of what he suffered, because of his whole life that he lived and run every race, as we said a few weeks ago. He's run every race and won every one of them and handed us salvation because of this week. This body will die, but we will never die. Do you understand that? When this body hits the floor, you will still live because of Christ we never have to experience death Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord as soon as this body drops you are present with the Lord something we can't purchase we have every reason to praise him and rejoice The body will die, but we will never die. Jesus said this in that same passage. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever is believing and trusting in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and is believing in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Is what he asked them. Do you believe this? He knows it's it's out there, but he's telling the truth. Everyone who lives and is believing in me shall never die. If you hear these things and you don't see them as mighty works, you must not think you are too bad off to begin with. Because they are mighty works. Mighty works that our lives have been turned around and changed and being formed into the image of Christ. Well, we didn't, he didn't have to do that. He did not have to call your name out. He could have left you in that tomb just like the rest of those people who were in the tomb with him, in that family tomb. They could have just stayed there, but he called you out by your name and said, you're coming with me. You will live and you will never die, never die again. The basis of our worship is not grounded in our circumstances, but in the grace of our Savior. We have every reason to rejoice and praise him. Just like this crowd was praising and and rejoicing because they've seen the works that he's done. Don't ever lose sight of the works that he's done. Luke 19, 38. They were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That saying is is a reference to Psalm 118. 
a song that was being sung in 118 verses 26 through 29. It says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. What a grace that is, because he didn't have to have that light shine on you, to shine on your path, to show you where you're supposed to be going, to show you where your sin was. He has made his light to shine upon us. It says, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. This sacrifice is coming. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He has shown a light on us. Bind the, bind the sacrifice up to the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Endures forever. When you're sitting through this week and you're thinking about Passion Week and you're thinking about all the things that he suffered, that was yours. That was mine. We were supposed to suffer those things. And more so, more so throughout our whole life, we deserve that. But he took every single thing, every bit of suffering, and then he hung on the cross and suffered the wrath of God in your place in my place when it says oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good oh the depths of what that means thank the Lord for he is good his steadfast love endures forever and then the last part there he says I put he will be praised Luke nineteen thirty nine through 40 and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, you know, the ones with the sour look, the ones who didn't want him to be praised. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They ought to know better than to call you king. They ought to know better than to call you or pray, send praises to you and say, save us. They ought to know better than that. Rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. So many people read this and they pass over it as if it's a figure of speech. Oh, stones don't do that. Stones don't cry out. I believe this really would have happened. Why is that? Because I believe everything God has made is alive. It is alive and it does exactly the thing that it's meant and intended to do. We are the ones that don't. We're the ones that go and do our own thing and we try to be rogue. But every single thing in creation does what it's supposed to do. Some of you are like, come on, Matt, really? Stones? Stones are going to cry out? Have you forgotten the Old Testament? A snake was talking in the garden and no one batted an eye. No one said, what are you, why are you talking to me? The creation is alive. Balaam was rebuked by his donkey. And you're telling me stones can't cry out. And you're like, well, that's a little ridiculous. Well, what would you do if a donkey began to rebuke you? You're being an idiot. Stop. Your donkey. I mean, you'd. it would be a little disheartening 
God spoke from a burning bush that was not consumed. How do you explain that? How do you explain a bush being burning but not being consumed, not going away? God spoke to Job from a tornado, but rocks can't cry out. If we won't praise God, his creation will praise him. They're not going to stop. We're the ones that stop. When he says things like, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. He's not lying to you. He's not lying. When has he ever lied to us? We forget the things that the the Old Testament talks about, about creation. It's inanimate objects that are talking about praising God. In Psalm 96, 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Is he just writing things just to be pretty? No, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. When the sea roars, it is praising God. When the, when the stars are twinkling and shining, they're praising God. They're doing what they were intended to do. It's not random happenstance. Psalm 98, 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, he comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let the rivers clap their hands. I've told you guys this before. Whenever I've been out camping before beside the river, and you enjoy the the trickling of that river, and it's just beautiful to you, well, who else is listening to that whenever you're not there? God is. Because it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's praising Him. It's obeying Him. It's doing exactly what God, God's heart intends for it to do. But He has an intent for us to do, to praise and worship Him. But we say, no, I don't want to do that. We have every reason to praise Him. Isaiah fifty-five twelve: For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. When we hear the breeze blowing through the trees, we hear a breeze blowing through the trees, but when God hears it, he hears clapping. There's things that we don't perceive about this creation and I'm telling you, we don't see it all because of our fallen eyes and our fallen ears and our fallen minds. We don't see it. I found something interesting. I I, I knew that it was around um, before, but it came to my mind last night. Did you realize that the earth has a hum to it? The earth has a hum. Scientists have been trying to record it since 1959. They've they've noticed it picking up on things, and it, it has a hum to it. Well, why does the earth have a hum to it? Well, we always think of the earth as it just being a planet. And you say, well, maybe it's the ocean. Well, they say that it's a very distinct sound besides the ocean. It's not the ocean. The earth is expanding and contracting all the time, causing the hum. It's almost as if it's breathing and it's humming. Is it just humming randomly? Does God do things randomly? No, it's praising God. Let the earth rejoice. And we sit there and we think. We, these things go over our heads. God makes everything with purpose. 
You're going to call me crazy when I leave here. That's fine. You can call me crazy. But God makes everything with purpose. He makes everything with his intent. He makes the earth to contract and to expand on purpose with a reason. It causes a hum. And it probably has a tune. The hum is inaudible to human ears. It's almost as if the earth is just alive. And it is. Why is it inaudible to our ears? Well, we're not meant to hear it. God enjoys the hum. There are many things that we don't know about this creation, but yet we think we've got it all tidy and wrapped up. We have many reasons to praise him. That same God who does the little things like that and is getting worshipped by things that you wouldn't imagine is worthy to be worshipped by us because he's very actively in, uh, involved in our lives and in our salvation. He didn't just blanket create things and let them start praising him and was, you know, that's good. Yeah, it's good, but I want man and I want woman and I want them to converse with me. I want them to talk with me. I want them to worship me and enjoy me the way I've enjoyed being all for eternity. I want them to take part in that. I want them to learn to be like me. I want them to be full of joy like me. Everything that has God's fingerprints on it is alive in some manner down to the smallest particles. They are moving. They are alive. And imagine, I just imagine the kingdom when you're able to see those things without a fallen eyes, without fallen ears, and you notice all of the things that are actually praising God. He's worthy. When he says the rocks will cry out, they will. They will cry out. Don't let the rocks outdo you. Because they're, they're steady. They're steady in what they're supposed to be doing. The trees are steady in what they're supposed to be doing. The stars, the moon, all of those things are moving just as they're supposed to be moving. The rivers keep on making their sound when no one is around. The ocean still roars when no one is around. The birds still sing when no one is around. God hears when we do stop, God still gets glory from his creation. We don't need to stop. Don't let the creation outdo us. If creation was made to rejoice, praise, and worship, so will I. I love that song. It's true. If creation was made to worship, so will I. We have every reason to rejoice and praise Him. All of those things have the reason of being created and are here. The stones that were around Him that day, they were like, give me the chance. I'll let Him know. I'll let Him know. I've seen what He's like, and I see how He takes care of Him. He takes care of every bird that's out there. It amazes me that these birds find food every day. I've told you the story before. I've been, I was fishing all morning in this this hawk just sweeps by on the lake, snags a fish, and flies off. Lesson learned. God takes care of them, and I'm sitting there with a line in the water. You know, just, he takes care of the birds. He takes care of things. 
we have every reason to rejoice and praise him in the good times and the bad. But as we continue through this week, I want you to do this. I want you to count your blessings. I want you to count them because so many times the things that are going wrong are so much louder than the things that are right. Count your blessings. Really think on and consider all God has done for us in this Passion Week. Because if the rocks were prepped and ready to worship, they would have. They were ready to give me the go. Once they're, once they're silent, I'm, I'm crying out. I'm crying out. We should be looking for every opportunity to be able to worship Him, especially this week. Because that, those were things that we were supposed to go through. Those were things that we deserved. Not the, not the one and only Son of God. He didn't have to come do that. He didn't have to come suffer those things. But think and consider all that God has done for us. Creation to enjoy. Salvation. Jesus' life. His death. His taking the wrath of God in your place. His resurrection. Our resurrection. Our eternity with Him. All of these things he's given us, we have reason to sit and consider and contemplate this week leading up to our rejoicing next week of him being alive. Rejoice, your king has come humbly to rescue you and is coming again soon in all of his glory and all of his power. Are you ready for him? Are you ready to see him? Rejoice and praise him this week. The stones will cry out. Will, will you? Will I? Will I cry out this week in worship, looking for opportunities to praise Him? Let's be so wrapped up with Him that nothing else really takes effect on us. Let's pray. Well, Father, we pray that we would be a people who are ready to worship You like these people were praising you when they saw you come into town. That we would be consumed with worship. Not for the sake of worship, but because we're consumed with you and who you are. And want to see you and want to know you. Lord, your creation never stops praising you. You will always have praise, but you want ours. You want our praise. You want our worship. Lord, let us be people who are quick to worship you and praise your name for all the things that are coming in our lives. Let us praise your name for this week. You didn't do any of these things to deserve them, to be beaten, to have your beard plucked out, to be spit on, to be stripped down, to be hanging on a cross and suffocating because you want us saved. You want us with you. You said that you did it for the joy that was set before you. And that joy was having us together. For us to be able to enjoy you. And you to enjoy us as our God. Lord, let us have reason to worship. Let us see those reasons to worship for the mighty works that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.